It was great to spend some time with my wife away, just resting and recharging. We ate a lot of food. And so I'm going to be on a diet for the rest of my life. And my pants are like, why? Why did you do this? Uh, but it was great. We rested. We spent time together. Uh, but we couldn't wait to get back to you guys. And I just want to thank you for being in such a great church where it's always so good to come home. Uh, I love you guys. And I love what God is doing here. Uh, we're going to jump into this message and the word of God today. You can turn in your Bible to Leviticus Chapter 10. How many of you know that when the preacher tells you to turn to Leviticus, it's going to be an interesting morning, all right? Maybe you've read the Bible before or you've tried and you opened it up and like many people, it's very logical. You go to the beginning. You're like, I'll start from the beginning. That makes sense. You know, you, you read Genesis and, and then you read Exodus and and you're probably thinking, like, this is pretty good. Like, we're off to a good start. I recognize some of these names from when I was a little kid in Sunday school. I've, I've heard of Adam and Eve. I've heard of Moses and maybe even Joseph. And then you got to Leviticus. And you were like, what is this all about? And in Leviticus and Numbers, these, these first few books of the Bible, you start getting all this information about the priests and their robes and the tabernacle where God's presence was at, and all these rules about sacrifices and, and how many sacrifices and when, and, and you're reading it probably if you're like me, and you're like, oh, this is gruesome a little bit. All these animals are just getting their throats slit up in here, and I'm not really even sure why. And if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. If you've ever read through some of those chapters of the Bible, they're a little weird. They're a little... Um, Boring at times? Can I say that? Am I allowed to say that? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, and you read some of that stuff, and you're like, I'm not totally sure why that's in here or what I'm even supposed to get out of this. Well, we're going to talk about some stuff today. I hope it'll, it'll help you. In Leviticus chapter 10, we're going to read about some interesting events that occurred. Aaron, who's the high priest, the brother of Moses, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, who were also priests, they put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. The Bible says, in this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up and they died before the Lord. Let's all just stop for a minute and be like, whoa. This is intense. Yes, it is. In verse 3, then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Probably kind of surprised. He just saw his two oldest sons burned to a crisp in front of him. And then Moses, his brother, not exactly the most consoling words of comfort, Oh, this is what God meant about displaying his holiness to those who come near me. It's like, nice, nice encouragement, bro. I'm going to go on and give you a little bit more context. Then Moses called for Mishael and Elzaphan, Aaron's cousins, the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel. He said to them, come forward and carry away the bodies of your relatives from in front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came forward and picked them up by their garments and carried them out of the camp, just as Moses had commanded. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not show grief by leaving your hair uncombed or by tearing your clothes. If you do, you will die. 
and the Lord's anger will strike the whole community of Israel. However, the rest of the Israelites, your relatives, may mourn because of the Lord's fiery destruction of Nadab and Abihu. But you must not leave the entrance of the tabernacle, or you will die. For you have been anointed with the Lord's anointing oil. So they did as Moses commanded. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your descendants must never drink wine or any other alcoholic drink before going into the tabernacle. If you do, you will die. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Now look at this verse. You must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common, between what is ceremonially unclean and what is clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees that the Lord has given them through Moses. All right, we're going to stop there. So just a little bit of backstory. Leviticus chapter 9, the previous chapter to what we just read. Here's what's going on. God had given Moses all the instructions to set up the tabernacle, which was the initial uh, tent of meeting where God's presence was going to dwell among his people. And God gave Moses all these very detailed guidelines and rules for how to set up the tabernacle and how to worship properly in the tabernacle. There were all these rules about what it would be made out of and all the exact specifications and what the priests were supposed to wear and what color the tassels on their robes were supposed to be and when they were supposed to offer sacrifices and how many. And so Moses followed all these instructions in Leviticus chapter 9, it's kind of the, the culmination of the grand opening ceremony, and they offer the final sacrifice as God had commanded them to do, and the fire of the Lord falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, which showed everyone who was there that God's presence is truly here among us. And so what do they all do? They worship God. They fell down on their faces and praised him. And it seems like a great grand opening of the tabernacle. And all of a sudden, there's a change of events, a change of mood, if you will. As Aaron's sons, they're like, we'll participate in this great moment. And they bring their incense burner before the Lord. And the Bible says they had the wrong kind of fire. What does that mean? We don't even know. Theologians today are like, it could mean this, could mean this. But the, the point is, what we do know is they did something different than what the Lord had commanded. And so the fire of God that everybody was just celebrating, falling and consuming the sacrifice, then burst forth and smoked Aaron's sons. And I'm sure that was a little bit of a downer with the people, right? Like, whoa. Uh, and maybe right now you're wondering to yourself, Pastor Ryan, are you okay? Like, you just came back from vacation and you're reading me about the fire of God smoking dudes. Like, did you not get a good vacation? Like, what, what's going on? Is this because I said I would not serve in the nursery? What, where are you going with this exactly? Maybe you're worried a little bit. We're not going to beat you up today. We're going to build you up. And I want to talk to you about our holy and loving God, okay? And so maybe you read a story like that where God's wrath, it explodes towards someone and it kills them. There are other stories like that in the Old Testament. And you wonder to yourself, what am I supposed to make of this? What is that? How am I going to explain that to my friends? That doesn't sound like the loving and tender cuddly God that I've heard so much about. What do I do? And that's a common concern I think that we have as Christians. I think sometimes we feel a need to soften God's image 
and present him in a more palatable, politically correct way. Like as if we're God's public relations guy and we're going to help him with his image with the world. And here's the thing. When we do that, when we think that way about God, when we wonder and judge him when he strikes, we do the world a disservice and we do ourselves a disservice. We have to understand God's holy nature because until you understand how holy God is, you cannot totally understand his love for you. All this stuff in the Old Testament, all this crazy detail and guidelines and these rules, and when you read about God's wrath and his anger and him striking people down, and you're like, whoa, what is that? Who is this God? Can I trust this God? What's that all about? All of that is meant to explain to us and help us understand how holy and righteous God is and how serious sin is to God. And here's why I'm talking about it today. This is the main idea. You can't appreciate God's loving kindness until you stand in awe of his holiness. What does it mean to awe, to be in awe? Is that like when you see cute puppies and you're like, "Aww." No. When you're in awe of something, it's when you dread it, when you're overwhelmed, when you're terrified. It's where we get the word awesome. And probably a word we overuse and misuse a lot. I'm just as guilty as, as anyone else, you know? Like, I'll be like, oh, these tacos are awesome, you know? Like, oh, your new haircut is awesome. We're not using that word quite right. Like, those, those things are, are good, but they're not necessarily awesome the way that the word is meant to be understood. Like, a hurricane is awesome, the power of a volcanic explosion or like an earthquake registers nine on the Richter scale. That's awesome. A nuclear bomb explosion is awesome. It's like terrifying and overwhelming and awe-inspiring. God is awesome and he is holy. What does it mean that he's holy? It means that he is set apart unto himself. He is sacred, that he is separate from all other creation because he created everything else. Whereas everything else is corrupted by sin, God is completely set apart and totally uncorrupted by sin. He's awesome and he's holy. And you have to understand that in order to truly appreciate who he is and what he's done for you. Moses, when he was talking there, he was saying you must distinguish between what is sacred and what is common. Another translation says, between what is holy and what is unholy. And I feel like, I wonder, I worry a little bit, how many Christians have a common view of God rather than holding God up as sacred and treating him as being holy? Maybe, they, maybe, maybe you don't even realize it totally. Um, maybe, but in your heart, there's a, a commonality that you think of when you think of God. It's, a, it's an, maybe a, an over-familiarity where, where you don't give him the proper reverence and respect that maybe he deserves. And I see this sometimes with people, but, but what happens is that ends up hurting us. It's not always totally your fault if you have struggled with this. And I think this is a little bit more of a complex subject to wrap your mind around. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more in the, the deep end of spiritual maturity and discipleship. So we're going to just kind of look at something that's a little different and maybe a little bit 
deeper than you've considered before, when it comes to the awesome holiness of God, it really is a meaty subject. And we are really big fans of spiritual milk, and I love all dairy products, the frozen type especially. But, you know, at Generation Church, we also want the meats, right? Like Arby's. We want the meats. And this is kind of one of those topics. So I want you just to kind of come along on this journey with me for a moment, and we're going to end up in a good place by God's grace. I pray. So I want you to understand how awesome and holy he is by understanding that it leads to all kinds of ongoing practical blessings and joy in your life. That's where this is going to lead you. But you need to know this. You can't enjoy him until you fear him. You can't truly enjoy God and who he is until you've learned to fear him. Do you fear God? What does that even mean to fear God? Without the fear of the Lord, you might hear that Jesus loves you, but you won't truly appreciate what that means. You won't understand why he came to this earth and died on the cross in your place. If you don't have the fear of the Lord in your heart, you won't truly appreciate the gift of God's grace or the consequences of rejecting him. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. In the, or rather in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the definition of fear, I thought it was interesting that the third definition down, it says profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. The dictionary is helping us understand fear and how we think about God with reverence, with awe, treating him as sacred, as holy, as special, as set apart, as powerful and almighty. And understanding what it means to fear the Lord has been kind of a difficult uh, challenge for a lot of Christians. I think it's one of the more difficult concepts to, to understand and wrap your head around because you hear that God is loving and, and he's kind and he's merciful and he's a father to his children. And we tend to focus on that and that's good and we're going to talk about those things. But then we also read in the Bible that he's awesome and he's terrifying and he hates sin. So which one is it? The truth is that it's both and. God is both awesome and mighty and holy and terrifying, and he's loving and kind and patient. You got to know this. Some of you right now, you got to connect these things in your mind. There's not two different gods in the Bible. There's not a God of the Old Testament who was really angry until he got some counseling, and then he showed up in the New Testament as Jesus, and he was like, I'm good now. I had a vacation. Oh, we rested a little bit. Sorry about all that. No, no, he's the same God. He's both, and he is all of those things. And so we're going to see a little insight into this. Deuteronomy 5, 29, God is talking to Moses about his people, the Israelites, and he says this, oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. God himself is speaking and says, if you would fear him, you will prosper forever. Anything that is powerful is also potentially dangerous. Isn't that true? The ocean, powerful, and potentially dangerous. A lion, powerful, but if you wrestle with it, it might eat your face. Uh, fire, powerful, 
very dangerous. You know, electricity, it's the same thing. Powerful, don't stick scissors in the outlet, you know? And it's like that with God. He is almighty and powerful, but if you mishandle him, you face potential danger. And that's why he gives us guidelines and rules. We need guidelines and rules to stay safe, don't we? Sometimes you might be a little irritated by the guidelines and rules. I'll tell you what, there are some roads in this state that we should be able to drive a lot faster on. That's my opinion. Going 65 on the 60 when there's no traffic is ridiculous. I know I can drive 80 in a safe way, all right? I'm just messing around right now. But I know that those rules are meant to keep me safe. When you give a 16-year-old a car, you're hoping that that 16-year-old fears the destructive potential of that car as much as you fear giving them the keys, right? Because it's nice to have a car. It's fun. It's good to drive, and you roll up, and you impress your friends. But if you don't handle that thing right, it can cause you a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. Like me, my, when I got a car when I was 16, I got my driver's license. It was like three weeks later, I totaled my dad's car. Where was I going? To Sonic Drive-In to get a milkshake. That's what little fat kids do when they get cars. They're like, I'm free, right? Like, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> I'm over on the side of the road like, like sorry, I totaled your car. Um, until you respect the destructive potential of a powerful thing, it can be very dangerous to you. So this is why God gives us rules and guidelines to protect us and keep us safe. You cannot enjoy God until you fear him. Maybe you had very uh, strict parents that were hard on you. Some people had those kind of parents. Uh, other people had the kind of parents that did not discipline them, who ignored them, who let them do whatever they want. And when you're four, that seems really fun. But as you get a little older, you start to connect the dots, even as a child. And you're like, uh, I think my parents don't care about me. Because even children know that discipline is the result of love. They might not articulate it that way, but in their hearts, they know that. The Bible even says, God says, a father disciplines the child whom he loves. That's why God gives us rules and guidelines, and he wants us to follow them. In fact, it's safe to say he wants us to fear the consequences of disobeying his rules and guidelines because he loves us. God is not like the lackadaisical, uh, disinterested parent that maybe some of you knew. Uh, he is caring and considerate, and he wants to protect you from hurting yourself. He says you can learn the easy way or the hard way. A lot of us were like, oh, I'll learn the hard way. Psst, oh, the stove is hot. And God's like, you could have just listened to me, right? He wants to help us and protect us. I love this verse in Proverbs 9, 10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Fear of God can be healthy. It's healthy because God hates sin. He hates sin, why? Because it hurts us. He hates sin. And so if I fear God, then I, that means I have to take sin seriously. I cannot dismiss it. I can't condone it. I can't overlook it or justify it or sweep it under the rug. If I fear the Lord, then I need to dislike what he dislikes and fear what he says will hurt me. It'll protect us. When you fear God enough to follow his guidelines, you start to discover that his way leads to joy 
into blessing. And his rules and guidelines, they weren't meant to keep us from having fun. They were meant to keep us from self-destruction. God says, I want you to be safe and blessed and have joy in your life. But the person who does not fear God, who rebels against God, like how many of us little rebels in our hearts, especially growing up, right? Like that was me. I was a rebel against authority. Apparently none of you were, but I was. Okay, okay, thank you. So if an authority figure said, you better not do that, I was the little brat that was there like, oh, you can't stop me, right? Like, you shouldn't do that. Like, what are you gonna do, right? And then what happened? I got all kinds of problems in my life because I rebelled against authority. And so I love that, that verse. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Another translation says it's the beginning of wisdom. You can't have wisdom until you have a healthy fear and reverence for authority, and especially God's. In the first five books of the Old Testament, what the Jews call the Torah, there is more written about ceremony of the sacrificial system than any other topic. And all the details and the guidelines and the requirements were intended to help us understand how holy God is and how dangerous sin is. God gave these very specific guidelines, and we kind of read some of them. We heard a few examples But there were more, there were many more where God said, if you don't do this exactly right and you attempt to come into my presence, you will die. I mean, he's not messing around when it comes to worshiping him. He says, if you don't wash your hands right when you come into my presence to the priest, you'll die. He said, if you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you'll die. If you look into it, yeah, you guessed it, you're going to die, right? All of this was to help them understand that God is holy and sin cannot exist in his presence. Aaron's two sons, the guys with the funny names, Nadab and Abihu, they had a casual view of God to some extent. And so they exercised bad judgment. And they decided they were going to kind of just be spontaneous and do whatever they wanted. And, and so they, they perished. And listen, they might have even had good intentions. They might have even thought like, oh, I'm going to do a good thing. But the Bible says they did something different than what the Lord had commanded. And he wasn't having it. And today in our world, there are a lot of people who have good intentions, but who reject God's instruction in the way that we're supposed to experience his eternal life and forgiveness. So in other words, God says there's only one way to get to me, and you have to do exactly what I say. There's only one way to get to God. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. No other way leads to God. No other religion, no other system of good behavior, nothing. There's one narrow road, there is one entry gate, and the path to destruction is wide. So in other words, God says there's two pathways that everyone can choose from, everyone will choose who lives on this earth. The pathway to God through Jesus, or the pathway to destruction, an eternal separation from God in hell. And everyone's going to go down one of these two pathways. There is no other choice. There's no other option. And God says, if you want to get to me, I've made the path available and open to you. But you're going to do exactly what I tell you. You're going to do it the way I say. And if you don't, you'll perish. And maybe you had good intentions. Maybe you feel like you're mostly a good person. Maybe you know people that are religious. But listen, if they don't know Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there is no one who can get to the Father except through me, then you're going to suffer. 
It's gonna be difficult, it's gonna be painful. And maybe you hear that, especially if you've grown up in this culture, and you kind of react to that, and you say, well, that doesn't seem very fair. That's not very loving. You're probably a millennial if you're thinking this way. It's okay. But not only is God justified in destroying anyone who does not follow his commandments, he doesn't even owe you an explanation. (laughs) It's true. He doesn't care if you think it's fair. And if we don't fear him enough to honor him and obey his commands, it's going to end bad for us. If you want to know God's mercy, you can. But first, you have to fear his judgment. You can't enjoy him till you fear him. I know this seems a little bit intense, but it's going to get better, okay? We need to celebrate this. We need to celebrate God's uncompromising nature. We need to celebrate his perfect standard. We need to celebrate this because here's why. An incorruptible God allows for unshakable faith. It's because God is incorruptible that we can truly trust him. All of us have witnessed scandal where leaders lie or fall, right? Like you've seen the presidential elections where a guy says, if you elect me, I'm going to do this. And already we know better. We know in our hearts, like, will you though? Really? Sounds good. Or, Or we've all heard leaders who say, you know, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. But he did. Uh, there was another guy, right? And he said, read my lips. No new taxes. And there were taxes. And so when those kind of things happen where political leaders maybe let us down, where religious leaders maybe do that, where teachers or government officials or bosses do that, it makes you have a difficult time trusting leaders and people in authority. But that's why it's so good that God is so holy and incorruptible because he cannot lie. He cannot let you down. He cannot break his word. Here's a really cool passage. I like this from Numbers 23 verse 19. You're going to love this, ladies. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Isn't this good? Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried through? The answer is no. That's what's so good about God. Sometimes people question his goodness, and they wonder, is God really good? Here's how it sounds a lot of times. Like just this last week, there was this tragedy, a school shooting again, and when that happens, a lot of people will ask, how could a good God let that happen? And I don't think they even realize that by asking that very question, they are impugning the character of God. They're saying that if God was really good, he wouldn't let that happen, that I am better than God. And so because God let that happen, he must not be truly good. This is the the conversation that people have every time a tragedy happens. And they don't realize that they are impugning God's character. They need to understand, and you need to understand as Christians, that God is holy. He is righteous. He is incorruptible. He is only good. It doesn't matter what happens in this world around us. His character is unimpunable. 
Some people wonder, well, why can't God let other people into heaven? Why do people who reject God have to go to hell? Can't God maybe look the other way? Isn't there going to be like a, a last chance lightning round for those people to get in? Can't God just be a little bit more reasonable and allow those other people? Some of those are some good people or, or they're religious. But, but why does God have to be so strict? See, we should celebrate God's standard of righteousness. Because his standard is so high, it allows us to have unshakable faith. He cannot compromise. He's only holy. He's only righteous. He's unchanging. His standard cannot be lowered. He does not settle. He doesn't look the other way. He cannot lie. He cannot be bribed. He only ever always does the perfect thing. All right? This is good. Now, that means that there's some serious consequences. Like he said there would be, he will punish sin. There will be justice for everything that was done that was not right, that maybe some of you experienced. Like everyone who rejects God, who that therefore is an enemy of God, will be punished. Every human being who rejects God. All the demons who were cast out of heaven for rebelling against God. The devil himself. The Bible says that God is going to put them in the lake of fire for eternity where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And because God said he would do that, you can believe that he will do that. But then there's this benefit of understanding who he is and how holy he is, how righteous he is. It means that you can trust everything that he says. And to an immature mind, you might think it's unfair that God is so strict and so, so, so harsh towards sin, but that same standard of perfection is what allows us to trust him in every circumstance. And so I wonder, are you missing out on the peace that comes from serving an incorruptible, almighty, and terrifying God? Maybe that seems counterintuitive to you, but understanding in your heart how awesome and holy God is, will give you peace. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, God is speaking, and he says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. This is good. This is good. The Israelites, they were sinning against God. They were worshiping idols. And here's what God said to them. Because I'm the Lord, and I don't change, I'm not going to smoke you the way that you deserve. I already promised your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that I would bless you and multiply you and keep you and preserve you. So I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Do you see how God's holiness leads to us having peace? Even when we deserve wrath, God has already promised us peace through Jesus. He's already promised us forgiveness and mercy. Because God keeps his word, it doesn't matter what we do. If we trust him and follow the pathway to salvation that's available through Jesus, we end up having peace in our hearts. And we can trust him with unshakable faith that he won't change his mind, that he won't fail to come through, that he will not go back on his promises. He won't fall short of expectations. He allows us to have unshakable faith. We can trust everything he said. He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. He has forgiven you and written your name in the book of life. He will bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Christ Jesus, as Ephesians 1 says. He will heal the sick. He will raise the dead. Jesus will return again. His kingdom will never end. Because he said it, we can trust it. Because he's incorruptible. 
So maybe you hear about God's standard of perfection and that causes you concern, because like all of us, we know I'm far from perfect. Here's the good news. God couldn't change his standard, so he changed your standing. God could not change the standard. He would not change his standard. So what did he do? He changed your standing. He changed you because he refuses to change. He cannot change. So he says, I'm going to change you. See, we cannot get into God's presence as sinners. God cannot allow sin into his presence. He will not accept sin into his presence. That's why he gave such strict guidelines to the priests in the Old Testament. If they were going to come into his presence, they had to do it just right, and any sin in their life would have caused them to die, because sin cannot exist in God's presence. Because we could not get to God, he came to us. Maybe you're starting to understand this somewhat. Maybe some of you, this is the first time you've kind of heard this explained this way. This is why God sent his son Jesus into the world, because we could not get to God So Jesus came as the manifestation of God to us. And because we would never be perfect or live up to God's high standard, Jesus, who was human and God simultaneously, he lived a perfect life and was completely up to God's standard. So now here's Jesus who has earned all of God's blessing and accomplished everything that God would expect of a human being. And here is us who fall short again and again, over and over, who would never live up to God's standard. And what did Jesus do? He did a trade He did what theologians call the great exchange. He said, I'm gonna trade you my perfection, and in return, I'll take your sinfulness. Jesus said, I met God's standard and you couldn't. Guess what, good news? I'm gonna let you tap in to the credit that I've earned. Jesus allows us to go where we couldn't go. If you've ever been to a concert and you couldn't get backstage, maybe, you couldn't get to the green room with Justin Bieber because you didn't have the all-access pass. Maybe you tried and the bouncer said, sorry, your name's not on the list. I can't let you back there. And he said, but I want to go back. And he said, but you can't go back. It's kind of like that with God. Like You might want to go to God, but on your own, you would never get back there. But here's what Jesus did. He comes from backstage. He comes out into the crowd, and he says, hey, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you back where you could have never gotten on your own. Take this all-access pass. Don't worry. He's with me. And you're like, but Jesus, I can't go in there. And he says, if you're with me, you can go in there because I belong in there, and I'm bringing you in to a place you have no business being. But here's the good news. Once you're with me, you get to stay forever. This is what he does for us. He gets us to a place with God that we could never get on our own. The Bible kind of gives us a picture of this in Hebrews chapter 10 and says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, that's us, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest... That's Jesus, who rules over God's house. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is what Jesus does. He opened the veil. He allows us to go into God's presence. That means this. 
I can stand in awe. I can tremble in awe of God's almighty holiness and simultaneously go confidently into God's presence. This is what we get to experience as Christians. We serve an almighty and holy God who we should fear, but we get to also love and receive his love. He's frightening to his enemies, and he's a father to his children. This is good news. It's going to get better, right? You're just going to start to understand this a little bit more and more here. In Leviticus 10, verse 3, remember we read that Moses was talking to his brother Aaron, and he gave him these words of comfort. Not really. He said, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. You're going to have to watch this. There was two sides to that statement. In the immediate moment, God smoked Nadab and Abihu because they had disobeyed his command and there was sin in their lives and so God was not having them. He said, you're not coming near me with that sin. So what Moses said, God will display his holiness. God was saying, I am holy. Sin is not coming into my presence. And everybody there was like, oh, I get it. But I wonder if Moses realized that he was speaking prophetically about a future group of people who would be brought near to God through Jesus Christ. That us, you and I, by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, were made holy, we were made righteous in God's sight, we were brought near to him, into his presence, a place that we could never go, and that God, by changing us from sinners into saints, from common into sacred, all also displayed his glory and his holiness. This is pretty cool. You as a believer who has been transformed and brought near to God displays the glory and holiness of God. We were common and God made us sacred. And here's what I think. This is going to take away as we get ready to close this up. A holy and loving God deserves heartfelt and lasting praise. Once you start to understand who God really is and what he's really done for us, it just leads you to a place where you go, I have got to praise him because he has been so good to me. He has done so much for me. And I know too many Christians who come to church on a weekly basis and the quality of their worship depends on the quality of the circumstances in their life that week. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, don't pretend you don't know, because I see a lot of you who struggle with this every week. I'm just going to call you out. You come to church, and if you had a bad week, you're just kind of like, oh, God really let me down this week. Didn't deliver what I expected, so I don't really think he deserves my worship. And then there's other people that come to church that week, and they're like, God really came through. That genie in the lamp, he gave me right what I hoped for, and so I'm going to sing because he did what I wanted. That's not how it works, is it? He's holy and almighty. He's awesome and unchanging. He stays consistent. He is always worthy of our praise, isn't he? And so we get a little taste of this. We get a little snapshot of who God is and what he really deserves. In Revelation chapter 4, God supernaturally transported John, the disciple who Jesus loved, into the very throne room of heaven and gave us a little sneak peek of what's going on 
right now in the throne room of heaven. We're here in Arizona, in Mesa and Ahwatukee having church in heaven. This is what's happening right now. The people who are closest to God, the creatures that are closest to God, who see him truly for who he is, they worship him in an ongoing and heartfelt way. Here's what it says. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. Around the throne were four living beings. Day after day and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship, and they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you please. This is our God in heaven, the almighty God who is terrifying and awesome and holy, who also is loving and kind and patient with us, his children. This is good. You need to understand how awesome and holy God is, how consistent and faithful he is. Because no matter what happens in your life on Monday, you'll be able to know in your heart that God is still on the throne in heaven, that God is still awesome, that God is still holy. And you should celebrate having a holy and awesome God. Don't let that bother you. That's a good thing. Because God is awesome, he can do awesome miracles. An awesome God can keep me in the valley and protect me from my enemy. An awesome God can provide for my needs and heal me when I'm broken. An awesome God can do something when it seems impossible in your life. He can deliver you from the enemy. An awesome God can keep his promises and come through for you in the middle of any storm. This is why God deserves our heartfelt and lasting praise because he's holy, he's awesome, and he's loving, and he's kind. This is so good. This is why in Psalm 63, it says this, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. When we start to understand how holy God is, we realize how serious sin is to him. As we realize that, we start to recognize how little we deserve the love that he gives us. But then you connect the dots and you see, but even still, even how I rejected God, even when I I sinned against him, even knowing that I would be rebellious for a time, God sent Jesus into this world to take my place on the cross and to pay my debt and to take the punishment for sin that I deserve. Jesus became the permanent substitute for our punishment that we deserve. He took our place on that cross once and for all time that God would punish him as the recipient of the wrath that we deserve for our sin. He did this because he loves us. And as you start to put all this together, you put this whole picture together, you realize this holy, almighty God, he loves me so terrifically. And I'm not going to be afraid of him as he's terrifying and he's holy. He is. He's terrifying, right? But he's on our side. So we're good, right? Like if I'm going through a difficult situation and I'm facing a powerful enemy, if I'm facing a circumstance that seems overwhelming, I know the almighty creator of the universe is also my father in heaven. And so, man, 
I'm good. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to praise him. Even when my week has been difficult, I'm going to think about how much this holy God must love me, that he would allow me into his presence, right? And so that's what I hope we take away from this message today. Let's just bow our heads for a moment, a moment of privacy and reflection, and just take this time. If you're a Christian, uh, maybe you have this opportunity right now to just reflect on your own heart. Maybe you have taken for granted how holy and awesome God is in some way. Maybe you haven't thought about it for a while. Maybe you're saying right now, I want to go back and, and read some of these books of the Bible that maybe I didn't understand before because I want to better understand how holy and awesome and mighty God really is. Because now you're starting to see, man, now I'm getting a better sense of why he did what he did. And I'm, I'm getting a fuller appreciation for how much he must really love me. And maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord and there has been a lot of sin in your life and you've never given your life to him and you've heard about the potential consequences for that. And you're saying, man, I want to be right with God. I want to experience forgiveness and salvation. I want God to be my father. I want to know that he's on my side. And you can experience that today. I want to give you a moment and an opportunity to take that step of faith before we leave this place If you say, I want to be right with God, and maybe you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you've been running from God for a long time, let's just take this moment and give us an opportunity to accept Jesus for who he is. And if you're ready to do that, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. Just pray this with me. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that I deserve punishment for my sin, but that Jesus came into this world that he took the punishment in my place because of your love for me, that he rose again, and by, through, by believing in Jesus, I can have eternal life and be with you, Lord. I give you my life and all that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, right? Would you stand to your feet with me at this time? We're going to take a moment to just praise God, to give him the worship, the glory that he deserves. So, so let's do this all together right now, okay? Like, get yourself back in the zone. We have a holy and awesome God who deserves our heartfelt and lasting praise. So let's just take a moment and think about who he is and what he's done for us. We're going to sing out this praise that he deserves. We're going to give him some worship. And as we do this, let's just turn our heart to him and thank him for what he's done for us. Come on, let's lift our voices. Sing it out. <laughs> 